Welcome to the show. News Talk 1110 wbt Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And uh, if you want to send me an email, because the, uh, the email address is kind of bulky. So how about this? Send it to... I may just send it to Pete at the Pete Callender show.com. Why don't you do that? And I'll get that Pete at the Pete Callender show.com. You still got to, I know you still got to spell the last name. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, there is, I guess I could have changed my last name, but I think my parents would have been pretty upset. Dad, mainly mom. I'm not so sure. Maybe if I changed it to mom's name. Anyway, I digress. Um, Trump is to blame for, Everything that we've seen in Afghanistan, but also Biden should get credit for all of the success and the stirring victory that we've seen in Afghanistan. This was the message of the very angry Joe Biden yesterday. This is the thing that gets me. People who are like, uh, oh, I can't believe Joe Biden. He sounded like he was agitated. And like, first off, that's Joe Biden. It always it's always been Joe Biden. And I realize every time I say his name. Like, I feel like I have to say both of his names, Joe Biden. It just doesn't sound right without Joe Biden. Anyway, um, this has been who he is. He is a he's a he's a career politician. And he's always been this kind of, uh, you know, agitatable. Snarky. Just eh, kind of a reactive kind of politician. He always has been. He's the kind of guy that instead of doing the Bill Clinton, you know, clenched fist with the thumb protruding while he's going, probably shouldn't say protruding when talking about Clinton, but, you know, doing this, I feel your pain, doing that kind of, you know, number with the the overbite going. Like Joe Biden was always, you know, wag the finger at somebody. Look, buddy. You know, look, man. He was always that kind of a lunch pail Joe. I'm just a blue collar guy, which, of course, is a farce. He's not a blue collar guy. But... What blue-collar job did he actually have? I'm trying to remember. Was was there one, or is it just because he took the train, which is absurd? I grew up on Long Island. I can attest lots of people take the train to work, and lots of people who take the train to work are, in fact, not white-collar workers. In fact, most of the people that I saw on the trains were white-collar workers taking the train 50 miles into the city, to go work at a finance job or banking or something, right? They were not, they, they didn't get to be a blue collar worker just because they chose a train as their mode of transportation. So uh, Joe Biden, what was the last blue collar job? What was he, the lifeguard where he had kids rubbing his legs and stuff and, and threatening corn pop out back of the, of the pool, right? Is that actually a blue collar job? It's not a, it's not a, would that be a no collar job? I think that's, but <laughs> right. I don't know. Maybe it was, I mean, it was a country club, right? Or what? No, was it the, maybe it was a, a municipal pool. If it was a country club, then maybe you are wearing a polo shirt or something, but not while you're on duty. That would be weird. Cause like what happens? You jump into the pool to save somebody. And then the polo shirt, especially back in those days, it would just like wear, uh, weigh you down. Right. Because back then, I mean, did they even have the kind of thin material that they have nowadays? They were probably just wearing like one step up from burlap sacks back when uh, Joe Biden was was a kid. Anyway, Joe Biden in this speech, and we've got a couple sound bites. I think Ryan's pulling some sound bites. It's not terribly important, 
uh, because I think I heard Brett Winterbull uh, with Bo Thompson this morning. I think he described it as Joe Biden's greatest hits, which is true. <laughs> it really was. It was. It, it was. It's very astute. Like it's all of it's all of like the highlights of all of the Joe Biden speeches that he has given on Afghanistan. And he, they just kind of Frankensteined that speech. They just put it all together. And it's like, uh, that's why I say he's blaming Trump on one hand for the terrible mess. But on the other hand, look at us. We're so awesome. We did this in a really awesome way. And I get credit for that. Uh, you guys need to pick a narrative. Sin- sincerely, pick a story. But I guess, uh, well, I know that's the ben- the benefit of being a Democrat is you don't have to pick a story. You can weave together completely contradictory narratives and stories, and the media will protect you. They'll run interference for you. And uh, I suspect that unless we start seeing some hostage and beheading videos coming out of the Taliban soon, I don't think we're going to get any coverage out of Afghanistan anymore. I think everybody's going to look to move past this. And I have some evidence. I don't just make this prediction. Uh, this is actually occurring right now. So it's not even predictive. It's actually occurring right now. So let's start with Reuters. Okay. Headline. An exclusive. Before Afghan collapse, Biden pressed Ghani to, quote, change perception. This is a story by Aram Rustin and Nandita Bose. In the last call between U.S. President Joe Biden and his Afghanistan counterpart before the Taliban seized control of the country, the leaders discussed military aid, political strategy, and messaging tactics. But neither Biden nor Ashraf Ghani, the president at the time, appeared aware of or prepared for the immediate danger of the entire country failing or sorry, falling to insurgents, according to a transcript that was reviewed by Reuters. By the way, they've got the audio, it sounds like. I mean, not that I've heard it, but according to this report, I'm being led to believe that they have the audio. The men spoke for roughly 14 minutes on July 23rd. July 23rd. Think about that. On July 20, that's the last time those two men spoke. The last time the president of America spoke with the president of Afghanistan, July 23rd. It was about a, almost a month later, so what, three weeks, four weeks, three weeks later, on August 15th, Ghani fled the presidential palace and the Taliban entered Kabul. They had no direct communication for three weeks as province after province, town after town, fell to the Taliban. In the call, Again, this is Reuters. In the call, Biden offered aid if Ghani could publicly project that he had a plan to control the spiraling situation in Afghanistan. Well, now, it just got interesting. They had a phone call, you say? They had a phone call and our president promised something of value for something that was uh, illusory, some sort of, I don't know, a PR benefit, something of a, of a projection of a narrative. You mean to tell me that there was some sort of, dare I call it, a quid pro quo? Might that have occurred? Maybe. 90% of Americans in Afghanistan 
who wanted to leave were able to leave. Not true. And for those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out. Yeah, that wasn't true. They And that's the White House. They came back and said he misspoke. It's 98%. 98% are out. And there's no deadline. There's just death. Um, And obviously now the talking point from the left is that the only people that are left in Afghanistan want to be there because of the money. They're there for the money. They're going to take their chances and screw them. So... Uh, The last phone call between Biden and Ghani, the presidents of America and Afghanistan, respectively, was July 23rd. On August 15th, Ghani fled the presidential palace and the Taliban entered Kabul. In this phone call, lasted 14 minutes, Biden offered aid if Ghani could publicly project that he had a plan to control the spiraling situation in Afghanistan. The president also advised Ghani. So there was your, by the way, there, uh, your quid pro quo. He said, we'll continue, quote, we will continue to provide close air support if we know what the plan is, Biden said. Days before the call, the U.S. carried out airstrikes to support Afghan security forces, and a move that the Taliban said was in violation of the Doha peace agreement. So keep that in mind, that Joe Biden's military was still engaging with the Taliban doing airstrikes in support of the Afghan forces way after May. Right? Because he makes a comment in the speech about how if I didn't do it on this timetable, then it would have turned into a shooting war. Like, dude was already shooting. (laughs) Right? Joe Biden was already shooting. And the idea that, well, I couldn't do this because Donald Trump made us do it. Orange man, bad. He did this to us. Right. You were still providing air cover. So you obviously had no problem ignoring certain elements of whatever deal Trump struck. The president also advised Ghani to get buy-in from powerful Afghans for a military strategy going forward and then to put a warrior, quote unquote, a warrior, in charge of the effort, a reference to Defense Minister General Bismillah Khan Mohammadi, Mohammed Mohammadi, Mohammed Mohammadi. I think is how he pronounces that. Anyway, so he's trying to dictate personnel to the Afghan leadership, which is very much on brand for Joe Biden. Remember the call to the Ukrainian president was it the president yeah the president the former guy before uh by the way he's meeting with the new ukrainian president or the newer one the guy that had the phone call with donald trump was it zelensky right he's having a meeting with zelensky as well biden is soon but biden remember pressured the last ukrainian government to fire a guy and then he bragged about it on the stage oh within half an hour and they fired him and you know my son just happened to end up on the board of Burisma. So this is very much on brand for the Bidens. In much of this call, Biden focused on what he called the Afghan government's, quote, perception problem. <laughs> Style over substance, always, always. It's all about the narrative. It's all about perceptions, about branding, PR, right? 
Quote, I need not tell you the perception around the world and in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things are not going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. Uh, Sorry, Taliban. And then uh, there is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. So what is he arguing for here? He's saying, hey, man, your optics stink, right? The optics are terrible. You need to at least pretend or project strength like Joe Biden does at the podium when he's like leaning on his portfolio there and just like about looks like he's falling asleep and he's all crumpled over. And I know this doesn't matter to state senator and U.S. Senate candidate Jeff Jackson out of Mecklenburg County. I know this doesn't matter because he wants to talk about solutions and I'm about responsible policy discussions. Uh, But what Joe Biden was telling the Afghan president was perception matters. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, perception matters. And how you look to your people and the rest of the world is going to be really important if you want a little something-something from us, namely air support, which eventually got grounded. The Biden administration grounded the air support. So this seems pretty bad. You know why? Because I'm old enough to remember. It's going back some ways, but I'm old enough to remember a, a sitting U.S. president got impeached for almost an identical arrangement. I know it's been a while, but it's true. It was a while ago. President Donald Trump, you may remember him. Is this Pearl Jam? News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. It's true. It's true. There once was a president named Donald Trump, and he jumped on a phone call with the president of a foreign country, and he was very interested in getting them to do something, and they were very interested in getting an appearance at the White House for PR purposes uh, as a show of strength, uh, you know, to project power and legitimacy. And uh, and so Donald Trump said, hey, well, you know what? Uh, I would really like you to do this investigation because— this, you know, uh, Burisma and, uh, you know, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's kid and all this, you know, what, what's going on and what's up with this deal and whatever. Like, and they, they impeached him. The Congress impeached the president. They did not convict, but they impeached the president. Uh, it was a while ago. You probably read about it somewhere. But uh, that's why this is a very concerning thing, too, because I know, like, Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, they are very, very interested in these types of quid pro quo calls. And this one is like identical. It it is. It's identical to what I just described with the Ukrainian call. You've got one president asking for a PR bump, right? Some photo ops, some sort of projection of power and legitimacy. And then you have the other president seeking something of value in exchange for that, which would uh, would have been air support. Right. Not an investigation, but air support. It's a quid pro quo. And yes, I mean, yes, I know it's too bad that what's his face? Uh, Vinman, right? Alexander Vinman. It's too bad he wasn't still working there because I'm sure he would have raced right out to the media and divulged all of the contents of the call. As the two presidents spoke, and this was, by the way, July 23rd, this, by the way, just let me say this one thing. This is what has always killed me about the left and Joe Biden. 
in this last election cycle. The left had this whole litany of things they hated Donald Trump for and about Donald Trump, right? They, they, they had all of these things that they hated. And then they nominate a guy in Joe Biden who is these things that they claim to hate, right? They say, like, oh, I can't believe, you know, Joe or uh, Donald Trump and he's corrupt and all of his kids and they're all profiting and all this stuff. Meanwhile, their guy uh, has a son whose basically only job is apparently to smoke crack, sleep with hookers and get onto boards where he launders money for the big guy. I, I think I've got that right. And that's their guy. Donald Trump is too old and senile to be president. And now their guy slurs his way through a, an angry speech yesterday, right? That's their guy. See, I prefer a consistent application of standards. And so if you impeached Joe, or, uh, Donald Trump like a year ago, that's what we're talking about, right? Or no, that was, for the, that was the second impeachment. Sorry. So you impeached Donald Trump like two years ago, right? You impeached him two years ago for the call with Zelensky. Then it seems to me like you need to impeach Joe Biden for his call with Ghani because it's identical. He literally did the thing that you claimed was the worst thing ever since Watergate. Afghanistan, as the two presidents spoke, Taliban is, sorry, Taliban, insurgents, controlled about half of Afghanistan's district centers, indicating a rapidly deteriorating security situation. Afghanistan was promising a shift in its military strategy to start focusing on protecting population centers, in other words, major cities, rather than fighting to protect rural territories. Joe Biden referred approvingly of that strategy. He said that doing so, would help not just on the ground, but in the perception internationally that was required to shore up world support for the Afghan government. Not sure, but might be yet another example of Joe Biden's utter stupidity on foreign policy. Guy's got like four decades of bad calls on foreign policy. To the point where Right? He has undermined NATO yet again. The very thing that the left said Donald Trump was doing, Joe Biden has done. Another example. Uh, Joe Biden on this phone call says, quote, I'm not a military guy, a military guy, so I'm not telling you what a plan should precisely look like. You're going to get not only more help, but you're going to get a perception that is going to change. Ghani, for his, uh, for his part, assured Biden that, quote, your assurance of support goes a very long way to enable us to really mobilize us in earnest. So yet again, here you have the foreign leader sort of like, I don't want to say groveling like Zelensky did with Trump, but, um, you know, buttering him up, right? Like uh, backslapping, attaboy, yeah, I'm with you all, oh, this is fantastic, you're the greatest, like that kind of approach to the diplomacy because who's got the power in this relationship right it's america not afghanistan and so he's doing ghani's doing the same thing that zelensky did which of course was portrayed by the left and the media but i repeat myself as a sign that this was a shakedown because that's how that's how victims of the mafia react so is this a shakedown too wasn't this a shakedown we'll give you we'll give you the air support but you 
You've got to increase and improve your perception. Yeah, that was kind of, I don't know, that was kind of a Chicago accent. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, that, the, the mafia doesn't operate in Chicago. I'm just, I'm disappointed in myself because I'm from New York. You'd think I'd be able to slip into, I can't. It's the New York accent now. It's like, I got to, it takes me a minute to, to find it. It's sort of like the Irish accent, which I don't do, blessedly uh, enough. Anyway, in a little over two weeks after Biden's call with Ghani, the Taliban captured several provincial Afghan capitals. So remember, their call was on uh, was late July, is like the twenty eighth, I think, according to the story by Reuters. Do, 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 uh, sorry, the twenty third. Three weeks later, August fifteenth, is when Ghani flees the country. But right, but a week before he flees the country, you've got all of these cities that are falling. Two weeks after the phone call, the Taliban captures several provincial Afghan capitals. And the United States said it was up to the Afghan security forces to defend the country. Quote, these are their military forces. These are their provincial capitals, their people to defend. According to the Pentagon spokesman, John Kirby, he said that on August 9th, on August 11th, intelligence reports indicated Taliban fighters could isolate Afghanistan's capital in 30 days and possibly take it over within 90. It took less than a week. It took less than a week. And... Ghani had fled four days after that assessment. The Biden-Ghani call also underscored persistent political infighting that plagued the Afghan government. That's up next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Yeah, uh, the Taliban, sorry, Taliban, are now parading our equipment, our military equipment, through the streets of Afghanistan. Uh, So bang up work there. Uh, Also, uh, maybe you've seen the video. I think the actor James Woods uh, tweeted out the video as well. Uh, That's where I saw it, at least on Twitter, was video of uh, Taliban fighters uh, that had apparently taken over, I don't know where, someplace. And, uh, I mean, hundreds of rifles. And then they uh, they got uh, boxes of other kind of weaponry. They pull back, um, well, they go into a room, actually. And, I mean, it's just pallets of cash. Pallets and pallets of cash. And the first thing I thought was, is this like uh, an Obama delivery meant for Iran? I mean, it may be a little bit of a, a time lag there, but it does sound <laughs> it does sound like an Obama move. Honestly, at some point, you got to start wondering: Is this a trade? Did we promise them all of these arms and cash in exchange for hostages? Anyway, in a little. Over two weeks after Biden's call with Ghani, the Taliban captured several provincial Afghan capitals. The United States said it was up to the Afghan security forces to defend the country. On August 11th, U.S. intelligence report said the Taliban fighters could isolate Afghanistan's capital in about a month, maybe maybe up to three months. And then, of course, within a couple of days, it happened. Ghani had fled the country when Biden asked Ghani to include Former Afghan President Hamid Karzai in a press conference, 
Ghani pushed back, saying, quote, Karzai would not be helpful. He is contrary, and time is of the essence. We cannot bring every single individual. We have tried for months with President Karzai. Last time we met for 110 minutes, he was cursing me, and he was accusing me of being a U.S. lackey. So this is the, quote, infighting uh, that, was, that has plagued the Afghan government. So Biden was like, hey, uh, hey, pal, maybe get uh, Hamid Karzai in there again, not knowing what he's talking about. Get Hamid Karzai in there like they're not I mean, that. Have you done anything with President Trump? Seriously, like you're going to make a recommendation to Ghani to bring in Karzai, yet you won't even bring in Trump to do something like pro vaccination or something. Right. You won't even give Trump credit. You won't even say Thanks to Donald Trump for the Operation Warp Speed. Like, you can't even give him that. And we're supposed to take your advice on bringing former presidents together. Just Biden paused before responding, saying, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. In a follow-up call later that day that did not include the president, Biden's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, General Mark Milley, and U.S. CENTCOM Commander General Frank McKenzie spoke to Ghani, Reuters also obtained a transcript of that phone call. (laughs) What do you think is happening here? How does Reuters get these calls? It's obvious when it's Trump, right? You've got the deep state or um, the swamp, the bureaucracy, military-industrial complex. Like, the left used to be very, very wary of these types of uh, shadowy organizations that were connected to the military and uh, intelligence and the like, Um, the neocons, right? They were very, very wary of this stuff. But now that they're president and when they use that apparatus against Donald Trump, they don't seem to mind so much, which, again, is really what the left is about. It's about power. And look, this is why the axiom exists, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So You give people these tools, which also, by the way, this was why after 9-11, 20 years ago, and George W. Bush and the Republicans began growing the the surveillance state, the apparatus of the intelligence community under the TSA and the DIA and DHS and all of the alphabet agencies and people, you know, that were libertarian were saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, at that time, we were joined by folks like the ACLU and you know, civil rights organizations that were also concerned, people of the left that were also concerned. But it turned out they were just concerned that it was a Republican doing it. That's all. They were just trying to leverage their concern for political gain. People like me, libertarians, were saying, you realize this stuff is going to get turned on the American public. You know, the Patriot Act and uh, the, the the tools of surveillance and the warrantless wiretapping and that sort of thing. The What was it called? Carnivore. Remember that? The, the email eating not eating, but uh, scraping uh, programs that could read all of the emails, which, by the way, if you don't think that's happening, you're crazy. So uh, people were sounding the alarms back then saying this is going to get used against American citizens. Oh, no, it won't. This is just for the terrorists. And uh, now we've got what? We've got these tools being used against who or against whom? Um enemies of the Democrats and the, quote, deep state or the military industrial complex or the like whoever, whatever 
name you want to ascribe. I've heard um, uh, the the you know the bureaucratic class, the state class, um, whatever the statists, whatever you want to call them. I mean, these are people, right, who are in government agencies and jobs, and they're protecting their fiefdoms. And they are more than happy to weaponize this stuff, as we saw in the last five years. And I know for folks on the left who hear this and you're like, oh, my gosh, Pete, some sort of conspiracy theorist. Look, when the stuff about Donald Trump with the Russians, when that was first floated, I was saying at the time, we need to have the investigation. I know there were a lot of people that were pro-Trump and Republican, and they were like, this is a, a witch hunt, it's a fishing expedition, it's all lies, it's lies. I did not say that because I did not know. I do not put my faith in human beings like that. I have faith in God, I don't put my faith in people. Right? Now, I mean, generally, like, especially though politicians, I'm talking about the political set, like, you can support politicians, you can wish for the best, hope that they do good and that sort of thing, and applaud them when they do well. But if you're going to just trust them blindly, then uh, I would recommend against that. Because they're human beings, they're going to let you down. And not only that, they're politicians. And so the chances go up exponentially that they're going to let you down. So no, I didn't automatically just assume that the Russia-Trump connection was a lie. So we have the investigation, we watch all of that unfold, and we watch um, how the whole thing crumbles. It took five years, but it did. And it exposed the people in the media who took the stories from the intel community, exposed how completely corrupt and broken the FBI is. Sorry, FBI folks. I, I am. I'm sorry, but your agency is broken. I don't trust you. I don't trust anybody over there. Why would you? How could you? Um. Oh, I know, I know, like the field office and agents and stuff like that, they're going to be different and, you know. Well, how did that play out for Trump, right? When people's politics dictate the course of investigations, because by the way, anybody yet get held accountable for all of those lies? The Steele dossier, funneling the intel, lying to the FISA courts, anything at this point, anybody held to account? How's Andy McCabe doing? Jim Comey, Peter Strzok. No, yeah, they're oh though no, they're they're talking heads on TV now with uh, five figure incomes off of it. That's what they got. So just check it.